the minute that we do stand up, the bully will be revealed to be what all bullies are, Deacon, a coward. Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our very special guest is Professor Robert George. He is a McCormick Professor of Jurisprudence and Director of the James Madison Program in American Ideals and Institutions at Princeton University. He's also been a visiting professor at Harvard Law School. He's a specialist in moral and political philosophy, constitutional law, bioethics, and the theory of conscience. Uh, Professor George is also an author and has published articles numerous articles and reviews and essays in leading law and scholarly journals, and also a bluegrass banjo picker. Is that correct? Is that correct, Professor? Guilty as charged, Deacon. Guilty as charged. Well, I do follow you on Twitter, so I enjoyed during the COVID nonsense uh, your you know couple minutes of music every day, so I appreciate you doing that. I did uh, 65 banjo minutes. Uh, I uh, grew up, I was born and brought up in the hills of West Virginia, uh, so I'm a native-born Appalachian, and uh, as you might not know, uh, banjos are issued to little boys at birth in West Virginia, so I came by it honestly, uh, and I've had my banjo with me my entire life through all my adventures everywhere I've I've gone, uh, and uh, I still play as often as I can. So during the first 65 days of the public health crisis, I decided to try to cheer myself and anybody who was caring to listen up uh, by playing a banjo tune every day. I called them my banjo minutes. They're still up on Twitter if anybody wants to go and and listen to them. Yeah, well, actually, it does cheer you up, but I do, uh, you know, there's a Bluegrass channel on Sirius Radio, not to give them a plug, but I listen to it quite a bit, so it it is uh, very, uh, very uplifting and I uh, appreciate you doing that. And so the reason we're talking today is you had republished or re-sent out on social media an article you had written a couple weeks, a couple years ago, actually, back in June of 2018, called The Solzhenitsyn Prophecy, and I always me- mess up his name. But it was a talk that he gave in Harvard back in 1978. And why did you feel compelled to, to reprint this article uh, now with everything going on? Because he makes some very fundamental points. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great uh, Soviet dissident and human rights activist uh, and uh, Russian Orthodox believer, makes some powerful, compelling, fundamental points about the basis of our moral crisis in the West, our loss of faith in the fundamentally moral principles at the foundation of Western civilization, and the dilemma we find ourselves in today, because that loss of faith has produced correspondingly, as losses of faith characteristically do, uh, a collapse of the virtue of courage. Right now at a time when we need to be courageous in speaking the truth, no matter whose ox is gored, speaking the truth to political power, speaking, speaking the truth to economic power, speaking the truth to cultural power, too many people are afraid. They're allowing themselves to be bullied into silence or even acquiescence. And Solzhenitsyn, based on his experience in standing up against Soviet tyranny, reminds the West, Americans in particular, at Harvard, reminds the West that the virtue of courage is indispensable. And unless we recover it, unless we restore our faith in our founding moral principles, 
whether they're the principles of the American founding, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, or the still deeper principles in which those American principles are, are embedded, that is, the principles of Western civilization, were doomed. So you were a grad student when he gave this talk in Harvard. I actually watched it online, and it looked like it was raining. Everybody had their umbrellas out. Did that have how, – how big of an impact did that have on you? Was it always in the back of your mind since that time until you ended up writing this article and just, you know, seeing his prophecy come true? Oh, it, it, it has had a huge impact on me. Uh, I was not within the walls. Uh, I was a graduate student, but I wasn't uh, graduating that day. I was still uh, right. uh, a couple of years away from uh, graduation. Uh, my my friend Cornell West was graduating that day, and he was within the walls, uh, and he and I have often talked about that. But I was outside the walls, and I could hear the broadcast and the translation. Uh, and, of course, I was uh, just uh, electrified uh, by it. It was mesmerizing. Uh, and, of course, as soon as the text became available, uh, I read through it um, very carefully. And it seemed to me that he had nailed it. I, I think... A lot of people at Harvard regretted inviting him because they didn't expect what they got. <laughs> well, they, they'd critique. never invite him today, would they? No, they wouldn't. I mean, his was a critique of Western consumerism, uh, individualism, what we today call expressive individualism. Uh, his critique was utterly incompatible with what we have now come to know as woke progressive ideology. Uh, he 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 told people we need to we are too focused on rights and not focused enough on responsibilities and duties and obligations that are at the foundation of truly honorable rights. He condemned the porn pornography culture, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, some of the content of rock. Well, he condemned rock music generally, but certainly what he had in mind was the kind of nihilism uh, of so much uh, so much rock music. Uh, it was not what the liberals, as we called them in those days, today we call them progressives, uh, what the liberals at Harvard were banking on. They wanted him to come and talk about the importance of human rights and so forth. Uh, they certainly understood that he would come and condemn the Soviet Union, which he did, rightly, of course. It was a dreadful, terrible totalitarian tyranny. But what they hadn't reckoned on was he was going to come and look them in the eyes and confront and criticize their own ideology, their godlessness, their secularism and atheism, their obsession with the self, the cult of the imperial self, their sexual immorality, uh, their self-indulgence. Well, that didn't go over very well, I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you could see where they wouldn't, but I mean, basically, it was a loss of faith and particularly a loss of courage, like you said in the beginning, right? Yes, and those are always connected. Those are always connected. Well, uh, you, yeah. you cannot have the courage to defend your principles and institutions if you lack fundamental faith in your principles and institutions. Well, and that's what we see today, right? I mean, you were talking lack of courage, whether it's individuals, whether it's corporate entities, whether it's elected officials. Uh, everybody's afraid because there's this mob mentality that has basically feast upon what that's that what that talk was all about, right? Nobody really got it in '78. You know, you held it to your heart, but not enough people did because they've just continued to travel farther and farther down that road to the point where, you know, we're dealing with a bunch of anarchy going on right now. Well, I mean, when people are tearing down statues of Ulysses S. Grant, uh, and and people are not 
speaking out. Politicians are not speaking out against that on mass, and and people are not standing up against that, and we're not defending uh, even the even the uh, the dignity of a figure like Grant, uh, a great magnanimous figure uh, who, along with Lincoln, saved the Union. Uh, ended up abolishing uh, slavery. I mean, if we're not willing to stand up and defend uh, the heritage and legacy of Grant against vandals, uh, nihilists, uh, people who do not believe uh, in the principles of our Constitution and civilization, well, then, you know, we're going to get the fate we deserve. Well, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it is a lack of courage. Uh, I don't. I don't know that there's enough calcium tablets to give people a backbone to be able to stand up uh, if they don't have you it know, already. People, um, yeah, Deacon Jeff. People have forgotten uh, that bullies are cowards. Uh, anybody who's ever been on a playground knows this. The bully gets away with it, and he gets away with it, and he gets away with it, and he gets away with it until finally some little kid who may be half the bully's size. Pops him right, pops him in the nose. Yep. <laughs> and suddenly the bully is crying, and he's running to the teacher, and that, and then the bullying ends. Then the bullying stops. Now I'm not here advocating violence. I'm against violence. Uh, I'm using that image metaphorically. We don't need violence. We need outspokenness. It's the power of the word, not the force of arms, that will win this battle. But if people are too afraid, too frightened, too intimidated, too bullied to speak out against the bully, to stand up and defy the bully when the bully says, oh, you're not allowed to say that, or the bully says, oh, you must say this, you must give me your loyalty oath. Uh, and, until somebody stands up, until we gather ourselves and stand up to the bullies, this bullying is going to continue. But the minute that we do stand up, the bully will be revealed to be what all bullies are, Deacon. Coward. A coward. And well, then we will begin to restore our civilization, our country. Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's the total opposite, right? Instead of standing up, people are taking a knee, right? They're bending a knee to the bully, right? I mean, in the end, uh, you know, we bend the knee at the name of Jesus, but we're bending the knee at a bully because we're afraid. Even though we have truth on our side, we have everything on our side, we're afraid because we never had, we never had those deep roots of the faith we should have had. The key thing is to be on God's side, to be on the side of truth. Uh, the woke progressives say you need to be on the right side of history. Well, that's a very foolish notion, because history is a, an impersonal force with no power to condemn or to credit. Uh, there is no direction of history. Uh, it's utterly contingent. But truth is not contingent, and God is not contingent. So we have to be on the side of God, and we have to be on the side of truth. Now, that means telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That means not whitewashing the dark spots, the black marks on our history, beginning with terrible things that were done to the Native American Indians, and it also includes, of course, the, the sin of slavery, uh, and then the Jim Crow regime of terrorism, lynching, violence, that came when Reconstruction failed in the wake of the abolition of slavery. All those truths have to be told. Those are important truths. And there is a legacy of slavery. And it's absolutely true that uh, black people in this country to this day have to put up with indignities that white people don't. When Tim Scott, Senator Tim Scott, the conservative pro-life Republican senator 
from uh, from uh, South, South Carolina, Carolina yeah. t- talks about the way he has been stopped by police when his white colleagues have not, even right there on the Capitol grounds, stopped by a police officer, who I'm sure was not a self-conscious racist or anything like that, stopped by a police officer and said, what are you doing here? He pointed to his badge, his, his pin that showed he was a member of the Senate, and the police officer said, I recognize the badge, I recognize the pin, but I don't recognize you. Now, he didn't say that to his white colleague, Lindsey Graham, or to Chuck Schumer or anything like that. So these indignities are real, and this has got to be dealt with. But the whole truth means the whole truth. Those truths have to be told, and other truths have to be told. We have to talk about the way that bad social welfare policy has damaged the black community. We have to talk about the fact that fatherlessness is a plague, very damaging, family disintegration in African-American communities and in white communities. In Appalachia, where I grew up, this is now a plague as well. Mm-hmm. But where we see poverty, whether it's black or white, and the high association, the correlation with family disintegration and fatherlessness, we have to speak that truth, too. There can't be any forbidden truths. We need to be able to speak the whole truth. We need to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. No lies, no deceptions, no spinning, no prevarication, no dissembling. The truth, the whole truth in all its dimensions. So if somebody talks about the indignities that a Tim Scott or any other black man in this country is subjected to, the answer to that is not, hey, what about family disintegration? But by the same token, if somebody says, look, we're going to have to deal with the problem of family disintegration, we've known since 1965 in the Moynihan Report what the consequences are for that. We know that gangs essentially function as families. The reason boys join gangs is because they don't have families, and the gang functions as a family. When somebody points out, the answer to that is not, well, what about driving while black? We need to stop with the whataboutism. Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, and you know, you talked about, I I listened to your talk that you gave at the Napa Institute in 2016, and you basically started off by saying, we are in trouble, and you started talking about the clash of cultures, right, between the church uh, and its values, its moral values, and the cultural values that we see now, right? In the last, what, 40-plus years, we've seen the Supreme Court say it's okay to kill babies, they've redefined marriage, and now just recently, now gender ideology is a civil right. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really a scandal and an outrage. Uh, and these and in these cases, uh, we're we're talking here about developments that are not only bad in themselves as policy matters and culturally, but they were imposed by unelected and unaccountable judges. They weren't even democratically validated. It would be bad enough if if the people exercising their right of self government made these bad decisions. But it wasn't the people. The people didn't give you Roe versus Wade. Right. The Supreme Court did. Nine guys, nine people, nine individuals in a country of, at that point, 250 million. Now we have over 300 million. Uh, Who who gave you uh, the redefinition of marriage? It wasn't the people. It was the Supreme Court of the United States. Who, Who now has redefined sex to mean something other than your biological reality? Right. Again, it's not the people. It's not the people acting through their elected representatives. It's an unelected and electorally unaccountable group of judges, guys in black robes, usurping the authority of the people 
yeah. setting themselves up as some sort of oligarchy. This is not the American constitutional system, Deacon. Uh, this, this, my, 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 as you kindly noted, my area of scholarship is, is constitutional law. I can tell you with certainty that what the Supreme Court has done is simply inconsistent with the constitutional role of the courts and the constitutional limits on their power. Whether you agree with same-sex marriage or disagree with it, whether you agree with abortion or disagree with it, it is not within the constitutional authority of the court to resolve these issues. These are for the people's representatives and the people themselves. Well, when you talk about truth, right, I mean, we've thrown truth out the window. Truth is whatever you think it is, and whether it's the truth, whether, you know, a black man gets stopped by a cop, for no reason, which he shouldn't, or it's the truth on marriage or whatever, it, you're, you were right in the beginning, it's either all, it's got to be all. And you can't all of a sudden live in moral relativism and then start identifying your own particular truths and then try to force that on people. Absolutely right. You know, Deacon, uh, people often ask me, uh, good people um, from all over the country, I, I do a lot of lecturing, as you know, around the country, at least I did until we were all <laughs> locked down by the COVID crisis. <laughs> now I'm on Zoom all the time. But anyway, people all over the country, and my own students here at Princeton, of course, but people all over the country will say, gosh, what do we do? What do we do? I don't know what to do. What do we do? And my answer is, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Speak the truth. Don't remain silent. The great crimes in history have occurred when people remain silent about them. So tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But the first step in that is to tell the truth. If you're not speaking, then you're not telling anything. You're, not, you're right. certainly not telling the truth. Right. And very often your, your, your failure to speak is or is interpreted as an acquiescence in whatever the errors or misdeeds or evils are that uh, are going are going on. So we have an obligation to, to, to do this. You know, we as Christians, uh, those of us who are Christians, um, we like to say, and it's true, uh, that our, uh, our ultimate allegiance is not to any state or any nation. Uh, it's not to this world uh, that we are citizens of another kingdom. That's all true. Uh, we like to say we are resident aliens. We, we reside here on this earth, in this country, but we're really citizens of another kingdom, another uh, polity. All true, but that's not the whole truth, because the whole truth includes the following. We as Christians are obligated, I emphasize, obligated to be the very best of good citizens. This has always been true from the very foundation of the Church. It is our obligation to exercise our rights and duties as citizenship, as citiz of citizenship, as citizens, to do justice. And when we fail to speak up for the unborn, when we fail to speak out against injustice, when we fail to defend the institution of marriage, when we, def when we fail to defend children against the depravities of the uh, sexual revolution and the ideology of, uh, of, of uh, the sexual revolutionary ideology that supports it, then we are failing to be the best of good citizens. We are being poor citizens, and when we are poor citizens, Deacon, we are poor Christians. Being a good citizen is not optional from a Christian point of view. Well, Being just, a good citizen yeah. is required. Well, and, and Christ tells us he's the way, the truth, and the life, so we know the way we need to go, and he tells us he, we're going to be sheep sent out among wolves. So none of this should be surprising to anybody who, who follows or reads Scripture that this is going to be a tough thing, but 
it's the courage that you talked about in the beginning. And, you know, in Romans 8, 12, uh, 12 I think 12 and 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. I mean, it's not like there's no uh, gaunt or there's no playbook on how we should be living our lives. And we are an evangelical people, right? We're supposed to share the love of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the truth, so we got to share the truth in love. And that's, that's where the courage comes in. And either you do it or you don't. There's no in the middle. Well, no one ever said, and certainly Jesus never said, that being a Christian means you're going to have an easy and comfortable life. In fact, he said the opposite. He said, if you want to be my disciple, what do you do? Uh, and remember, Deacon. You're going to follow me. And what do you do when you follow me? You you're take up your cross, cross and follow and me. Follow yep. me. That's right. Take up your cross. Now, who wants to take up a cross? Who wants to be Simon of Cyrene? Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> no, they want to tear no. down crosses. <laughs> That's right. They want to take. A, they want the easy way, right? We want being a Christian to bring us consolation and comfort and feeling good about ourselves, and and all that's fine to want, all that's good, that's human, that's natural. But Jesus says that if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. I I often um, uh, muse about the following. Uh, Imagine the disciples all gathered around, the twelve apostles and the holy women, they're gathered around uh, Jesus, and he's teaching them. And of course, they're so excited because the teaching is so wonderful, and Jesus is so compelling. And, and they, uh, they, their hearts burn within them at hearing his words, as, as we're told about the uh, disciples walking along with him, not even knowing who he was on the road to Emmaus. But here they are, they're gathered around Jesus, they're all uh, excited about this new faith, and he tells them that they need to go out and evangelize the world. And uh, imagine then they ask him, okay, boss, okay, Jesus, uh, we're so excited, we want to do this, you can count on us. Now, when we, when we sell your gospel message, what is it that we're offering people? How are we going to get them to sign up for this uh, new, new movement, this Christian movement? How are we going to get them aboard on this? How are we going to them, sell them the gospel, get them to accept it? Jesus doesn't say, well, tell them it'll make them rich. He doesn't say, tell them it will uh, make them popular. He doesn't say, tell them it will make them influential. No, what does Jesus say? Imagine this. He says, well, you know, what you're inviting them into, you're going to tell them that you should accept this gospel, but because that doesn't mean you're going to be rich or happy or powerful or influential uh, or, or have an easy life. It means you're going to have to take up your cross. You might have to face martyrdom. And if it's not physical martyrdom, you might have to face humiliation, people not liking you, people calling you names. Uh, people holding you in contempt, people discriminating against you. Wow, they must have thought to themselves, "How in the heck am I going to sell that product?" Yeah, I hope How I don't have. I hope I don't product? have a big quota because I'm probably not going to hit it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, to me, this is one of the proofs of Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. What? I mean, only a true religion could propose something that counterintuitive from the human point of view. That crazy. Tell your people to go make disciples of all nations, and then tell them to be a disciple. Tell tell the people you're evangelizing to be a disciple. You got to take up a cross. My goodness, <laughs> who would have come up with that idea if it were false? Yeah, no. Well, they'd be, you know, they what? You're either a lunatic or a liar, right? Or you're telling the truth, and that's what we hear about Jesus. Yeah. And so nobody in their right mind would. But that is a good visual <laughs> image uh, to remind all of us that this is why we're here, and and we're here 
at this particular time because the Lord has a mission for each and every one of us, and that is to speak the truth in the face of the bully, the evil one, the mob. Yeah, it's it's hard to do, it, and I and I don't want to pretend that it's not. I don't want to tell people it's going to be easy. My, my message is real. I'm just I'm just um, um, saying what Jesus said. I'm, I'm just I'm just a reporter here. I'm just a, I'm just a message bearer. It's not some new message with me. Uh, but it's tough, and I understand that. You may lose friends. You may alienate family members. I know a lot of parents today have have children who have bought into the whole secular, progressive, woke ideology, and they're very worried about being alienated from their children if, if they say anything to question that uh, ideology. And of course, there are some people who are trying to insinuate that ideology into the Church itself, compromising the Church's moral teaching and its evangelical mission. So I know it's not easy, and there's a heavy price to be paid. And, and there are some people who, who would who would literally rather die, throw themselves in front of a coming train, rather than alienate themselves from their children. I get that. I'm a father myself. You know, they're, they're, what could be more painful than that? And so that becomes the reason they don't speak. That becomes the reason they go silent. That becomes the reason sometimes they even say things they shouldn't say. They buy into an ideology that they shouldn't buy into, at least in the outward expression of that ideology. But that is not the Christian way, people. That is not the Christian way. Pray for your kids. Try to reason with your kids. Uh, try to keep the relationship any way you can, but you also have to speak the truth gently, lovingly, always lovingly, never with malice, never in anger, but do not yield the truth for any reason. How can yep. people follow what you're doing, Professor? Well, uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can look up my name, Robert P. George. Uh, my Twitter handle is McCormick Prof. Uh, you, you kindly, in your introduction, said that I was McCormick Professor of Jurisprudence at Princeton. That's the chair I hold, so I've adopted as my Twitter handle, McCormick Prof. Um, I have uh, two Facebook pages. I have a personal Facebook page, which at the moment has its maximum number of friends uh, at 5,000. And um, there's a waiting list, and people, if they wanted to uh, reach out to me as a Facebook friend, could get onto that uh, waiting list. And then I also have a public uh, Facebook page. Uh, my uh, personal website is being built right now and should go uh, online really very soon in the next few weeks. So if anybody want to wants to uh, go there, they can follow my writings. There are videos of my uh, television and other appearances, audio uh, audios of things like this uh, discussion you and I are having, Deacon. Uh, access to my writings, uh, uh, books, articles, things like that. Uh, all that will be up on the, on the Robert P. George website. 